0: listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life family. How are you guys doing? Yeah, happy Father's Day. Got nothing, didn't get jerky or nothing. We used to hand out jerky on Father's Day to guys, you'd be like, yeah, Rose, no, jerky, yes, of course. So, But well, we got something special for you here today with God's Word. It's going to be pretty awesome. I'm excited about that. Uh, Speaking of Father's Day, uh, I are a father. Um, I'm a father of actually seven uh, kids. Uh, Four of them got the express train to go to to be with the Lord. And then these are the three survivors of the Gray family parenting right here. And so uh, this is my beautiful daughter, uh, Tori, the one with the red hair and the uh, instrument there. She lives in Boise. Uh, Then my son, Jacob, uh, he is 18, just graduated. And Ellie, the 15-year-old who's trouncing around town here that everybody's watching. Making sure that she's good. No. Um, And obviously my beautiful wife. So just privilege and honor to be here on Father's Day. Just kind of to tell you a little bit about where we're going here this summer. Uh, So we just finished our Shaping Faith series, which should be just a foundational piece. When you're discipling people and walking through life with them, you just take them to that and and it's fun. You can can just work through that. It's a study piece as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But this summer, uh, we're going to roll all the way through August with a series called Forever Changed. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at people in the text who were forever changed by their interaction with God. And also, even outside of that, I've got some other folks that you'll even meet that are from our body and we're gonna hear their story of how they were forever changed by God, even within here and with us, by you by your love and by who you are. So I'm super excited about our summer series. We've got lots of different teachers coming up to do that. And speaking of teaching, and you're like, so where are we going? How does this work now? Uh, what's the what is it What does it look like? Well, we have a pretty dynamic um, sermon club. And so how these sermons are created uh, and why they could possibly make me look really, really smart is because I have a lot of really, really smart people around me uh, that are helping us with our sermon prep. So what happens is on a Tuesday, we're about four weeks out. And it's JT Manning who preached that awesome sermon on conflict that I still am hearing great things about. If you missed that, go get that. JT's in there. Um, Emmy Salisbury, our youth pastor, is in there. Uh, Marty Solomon, when he's in town, is there. Rod Jensen, Coach, Coach Jensen, is in there. Um, and then Christy Pedro's in there. And Christy's awesome. She's, if you ever get a chance to take one of her classes, she was at the Biblical Context Conference with Brad Gray. And I'm like, hey, can I get some notes on, on uh, the Prodigal Son? She's like, Bleh. She's a, research, she's a retired research scientist. So uh, when you ask for anything from her, it's like, here you go. And, so, and then you're just coming through that. So we have a dynamic team that's going to keep us uh, hopefully producing just great sermons that, that are, are entertaining, contextual, but also you're like, oh, I can apply that in my life today. Like right now, I didn't just get smarter at church. I got a tool to go out and use to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Because that's what we want the text to do. It's not here just to make us smarter and more wise, it's here to change lives and change hearts. And So super excited to bring uh, to you today a sermon called the Father's Heart. And so we're going to spend our time uh, in the text here with uh, the prodigal son and just to set the, the setting on this, we hear these, these parables and this is kind of in your Bible or at least in mine, it's set as its own parable. But actually, uh, if you go to the beginning of this, you'll see that Jesus is eating with the sinners and tax collectors. So if you were here on Thursday night, you, get a, you could have got a chance to eat with the sinner. And I don't know if we have any tax collectors, but I, that would have been an awesome analogy if we did. Um, and there, anybody work for the IRS? No. Um, so eating with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees are overseeing this, and they're like, there he is, eating with sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> And so they're overhearing this, so Jesus decides to talk to his guys, but they happen to be overhearing this. Does that make sense? So there's really three, it's one continuous story, but we broke it. it's broken up into three parables. There's one on uh, the lost uh, sheep, and how you'd leave the 99 to find the one, and we all love that song, and the picture of that is this sheep being found, right? Um, and then there's one of the lost coin, where this gal is looking for this coin, frantically looking for this coin with her her land she finds it and in each time when they find the sheep and they find the coin they celebrate and then jesus comes to the parallel of the prodigal son now this story is a story they've heard before and the pharisees have heard this before and they now they're like let's see if jesus tells this correctly and in his mind and their mind he does not tell it correctly Okay, so let's dive into this. Jesus continued, because he was continuing from his full set of stories here. Uh, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the young son got together all he had and set off uh, to a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, uh, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, and against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. And is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called over one of his uh, servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. Look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered away your property with prostitutes, comes home and, ki- and you kill the fatted calf for him, my son. The father said, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. There's so much in this text that we get to bring to light today. thanks to the hard work of lots of folks. But I want to start off with really talking about what happened here with the inheritance. So it helps us to understand in context, uh, this was a really, really big deal. So to, uh, to put it in context, like for today in our Western minds, let's say that my handsome son here uh, said, Dad, I'm 18. I want my inheritance. And I was like, well, OK. And for some reason, I said yes. And so what I got to do is I needed to, say he's a third owner of it. Of course, he's the oldest son, so he'd get two-thirds if we were in the Eastern Eastern world, but we're not. Um, So, yeah, he gets a third of it, and he gets his third. So I need to come up with a third of all of my assets. So uh, I probably got to sell my house, and we have to have 33% less of a house. So we sell our house. And uh, I have uh, my 401Ks or those, my investments, I need to get that money out early. So I would get a penalty for taking that money out early um, and get less of that to give him his 33% of that. Uh, The car, the cars, the boats, uh, the, the motorcycle, all that stuff, I gotta start liquidating that to find his 33%. And so I get him his 33%. The story is not about the money. What... The son said to the father, when he said he wanted his inheritance that we casually read, he said, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. The interesting thing about this is is that would be pretty embarrassing for me, right, if this happened in my world here. But in their living, in their world, they lived in insulas. So they would be like probably a family like maybe even this size. Maybe there's like 100 or 200 of us. And we all uh, had this insula living because you wouldn't waste great farmland by putting houses spread out all over the place. That's silly, right? So we would all live in this kind of village together. And um, you guys would all get a chance to witness this, to witness my son saying he wishes I was dead. To see me acting like a fool trying to uh, liquidate my estates. And here's the thing about this none of you would even touch anything I would offer to sell you. I would have to go to a far off land like Pullman. <laughs> and I would have to go over there, and, I, and they would know, like, well, this is weird. Why are you selling your boat, Josh? What happened? They, they would see, they would be able to take advantage of my shame, but none of you would take advantage of, of this shame because it's so shameful for the whole community. You wouldn't want to touch anything that I owned. And so I would go over there and be like, hey, my boat's worth about $4,000. bucks. i would like to sell it to you for $4,000. And they would say, I'll give you $400, and I would have to take it. And I would say, you know, well, here's my motorcycle. I need to sell my motorcycle because I got to get the, 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 the money at this because my son wishes I was dead. And he wants an inheritance and it's worth 5000 bucks. and they'd say, I'll give you 500 and I'd have to take it. So not only would me liquidating my assets happen in front of all of you, it would come at great sacrifice and great cost and I wouldn't receive the benefit of what they really are. And guess who else gets to be affected by this? Ellie. Her whole life gets to change because the whole family's uh, dynamics change by 33%. Her opportunities get to change. So could you see why an older brother or somebody could be pretty upset about that? So, saying, I wish you were dead. And only God would do this. Most Middle Eastern men at this time, they wouldn't do this. That son would be reprimanded and disciplined. And what he's really severing is he's severing his relationship with his father. Have you ever severed your relationship with God? Have you ever messed that up? Have you ever ran away? Have you ever squandered anything? Have you ever thought that your way was smarter and better than his way? Yeah, that makes sense. So at this point, the Pharisees are like, yeah, we've heard this story. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah, yep, we get to see everybody, get to see you do all this stuff. And then we have the squandering. So he goes off to this far-off land. And I've been to Israel, nothing's far off. It's like we're crossing this valley done you know so this far off land the idea behind this is that this would be the Decapolis these 10 cities that you could see you could actually see them from the other side of the Galilee where they would be and you would know like if we had Las Vegas a really dirty and bad Las Vegas like worse than you can even think about it now right and you knew that's where your son was going to this far off land and you'd hope that they could come back. You probably didn't hope they'd come back with any money, because you know what stays in Vegas? Your money. Right? It's a lie. What what what's, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. No, just your money does. You come back with lots of heart and heartache. heartache. Best thing that can happen to you if you start gambling is you lose right away, because then you'll understand how that's going to work. Right? So it's the, it's the Las Vegas that he's going to. He knows that he's going to this far off land. And the father is, is devastated and, and the son quickly sells off all of his stuff and he goes to this Decapolis and all these things happen to him, right? And so he he's, he's gets to the point where he loses all of his friends, all of his money, all of the things was gone. And he is like, I, uh, I'm hungry. Hires this Jewish boy, hires himself out to a Gentile, boo. He, and the Gentile happens to be a pig farmer, even worse. And what God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here, is you could not have gotten any farther away from God than where he was. He was so think about as far as you've ever been from God, that's what you're saying. Yep, that's this guy. He's as far away from God as he could possibly be. Something interesting as, as through the research here, uh, Luke fifteen seventeen it says when he came to his senses, and there's some debate about this. Um, of, of this is like an, uh, kind of like an uh, he he realized, oh man, I've really blown it. I'm really sorry. I'm really sad. Uh, in the Middle East, kind of the 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 Eastern and the Arabic translations, this phrase actually changes. Like what the what we think about it changes. He came to his senses. We're like, oh, he felt bad. What they say it means is that he took an interest in himself. He got smart. He thought of himself. They never thought of him as repenting and returning to the father, but returning to himself. In other words, the prodigal son has developed a plan to get himself out of this mess. And why they would think that and why the Pharisees and teachers of the law would think that is because they recognize a tie in the text. So what he says in verse 18 is he says, you know, here's what I'm going to say. He's practicing, right? Here's what I'm going to say. My father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. That'll work. That'll work with my dad. He'll know that I'm sorry for that for sure. So the Pharisees automatically, when they hear that phrase, they think Exodus 10, 16, just like you and I do. Duh. Duds right there. No, I didn't think that either. Um, I learned that this week. Uh, They think Exodus 10, 16. And the reason why they think of Exodus 10:16 is because they think of, uh, they know their text, but it says Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. And there's all these plagues that were going on and Pharaoh would like to have these plagues not happen. And here's what Pharaoh says. He says, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. So the Pharisees would be like, aha, he's not really sorry because Pharaoh wasn't really sorry. So everyone knew that Pharaoh was not repenting. There's no hint of remorse in his statements. He wants to eat. Evidently, the servants the father had in the next verse, have, they had food to spare. And that's what's interesting about this, is this story uh, could have changed. You know, it would be different. It would be weird to look at it where there was this lost sheep uh, that didn't need to do anything to be found, and it was found. And then there was this lost coin that didn't need to do anything but its master and owner searched for it and found it. And then there would be this lost son. But the lost son was different, right? He came back to the father. He repented and came back. It doesn't make sense in the story set. And so he wasn't sorry. Squandered away all that. Here's what was happening is he knew when he was coming back, there was going to be a problem. So that's why he was planning this. Uh, There's a phrase called... uh, Kazaza. Say it with me. Say Kazaza. Now say it sad. Say Kazaza. That's how we should say it. He knew that Kazaza was coming for him. That's why he was trying to figure out a way to get back in there and earn his his salvation back. I'm going to earn it back. Not that we ever do. Uh, So this ceremony called Kazaza was a ceremony that was performed when a Jewish man left the community and went and lived with the Gentiles and lost his wealth. When he came back, he would go to the city gates and the older men would throw down a pot in front of the young man, symbolizing the broken relationships that existed between the community and this sinner. This separated him from his family, his community and his faith. And this is a different kind of separation. This is you got a good chance of dying type separation. You are out. You're going back to H-E double hockey sticks. You're going back to the pig farmer and asking if you could have your job back. You are out. Because that actually means cutting off. You are cut off. So then you have this return, this planned return. And what's interesting about this planned return is we have a father who is looking. We have a father who is looking for you. He's seeking for you. He's not just sitting back in the insula being sad that you left. He comes out every day. Ah, oh, no, didn't come back today. Hope he's okay. I'm worried about his money. He's worried about his son. And we have this piece of of the text that's interesting. Is uh, and I can find it twice in the Bible where you have a patriarch who runs. They would never, 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 ever run. It is shameful in that culture. Even to this day, it's shameful in that culture. If there's a sheep going off the, off the cliff, the patriarch would just have the same pace and the ladies would, Choof! so go save the sheep. Never, never run. It's disgraceful, it's dishonoring. Ha- you know why? You'd have to lift up your robe to run and show your legs to run. It would be like, if, I, if my son was out in the, in the squishy park and he was dying out there and in order for me to save him, I had to strip off all my clothes and just run over all these chairs to get to him. It would be that shameful. It would be that embarrassing. Super embarrassing, but yet the father was looking. The father was looking. Do you know that God would look for you? He would look for you. God would actually look like a fool for you. God actually has looked very foolish to the eyes of this world for you and me. To the ultimate point of being on a cross, naked, so you and I don't experience kazaza, so we are not cut off. What kind of church do we want to be? I'll tell you what kind of church that I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that chases people from being cut off. That we might be willing to act like a fool so people don't have to live in a living hell. That we would go after people with all of our hearts. The reason why this message is so dear to me is I should have been kazazd, if that's not a word, but let's make it up. Kazazad I should have been. And post-falls in 2005, I embarrassed my, my church. 2004, I embarrassed my church. I embarrassed my pastor, embarrassed my family. They should have thrown it. But they knew what a father's heart was supposed to look like. And I metaphorically felt the arms wrap around me. And the kiss on my cheek before I could explain all the ways why I was sorry. And I was sorry. And at that point, I committed that I would do whatever God asked me to do for the rest of my life the best that I could. Didn't matter. Because I had never experienced that kind of love before, ever. That's how we reach the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We prevent kazah. You know, there are people at your university that you may work at that think they're cut off. There's people at the hospital that you work at that think they're cut off. There's people on the streets that think they're cut off. They don't get to have community. They don't get to be a part of this. I'm not churchy. No, no, no. We want to show them what the Father's love really, really looks like. Because this is a different kind of love this father sought out and there was nothing that that son could do before the father threw his arms around him and kissed him and gave him a robe and a ring and didn't even let him finish his story. That is what we call grace. Grace that we can't understand sometimes. Why would you do that? He didn't deserve it, right? Because the older brother comes along and he says, look, which is a super impolite way to ever possibly address your father. It's like some kid, when you call him saying, what? Drives me crazy. You say, what to your dad? <clears throat> Wake up with a nod on your head. No. Um, so he says, look, dad, look what you did. And the father turns it around and doesn't smack him, which is a really good example. And he says, my son. And Pharisees, Sinners. Are you you starting to see the picture? He's showing the Pharisees what the heart of the Father looks like outside of the law. That I would eat with sinners. That we would prevent people from being cut off. That's why we're here today. He prevented people from being cut off like us. Right? And when you think about the heart of the Father, the heartbeat of a church that reaches the world for Jesus one person at a time, that makes biblical disciples in relational environments, that does that. It's because we're showing the heart of the Father, not Josh Gray's heart or whoever's up here. We want to show them what the heart of the Father looks like. This is the Father's heart. So if you're going to serve uh, communion, uh, if you could go back and do that. If you're new with us, and I hope you are, um, we want to have folks that are new at our church and are understanding that they're not kazazed. That they are not being cut off. They are part of this. If you're new with us, uh, what this is is an open table. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then um, you participate in communion with us. We hold it all together till the very end, okay? Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're new with us and you don't know what this Jesus Christ thing is, you just kind of got drugged here by somebody because it was Father's Day, you are trying to make somebody's father happy or whatever it is, come and talk to us. Come talk to me, whatever. I'd love to tell you about the Father's heart and how it's changed my life and how it could change yours if you allow it. So we'll hold those all together. We'll take it at the end. Let's think of some questions that you could use this week if you're meeting in your, in your um, home group. Uh, the home group fellows in my group went to Mingles and played pool on Wednesday. I had family in town, couldn't go, but we do things like that and play pool and talk about Jesus, right? That's okay. Uh, eating with other sinners and being around them and involved them so you can actually have a relationship with folks. So if you're doing this around your table with your family, let's think about this. How can you use this story to encourage others? Not just to get smarter, not just to have heard a different spin on uh, the prodigal son, but how can you use this story to encourage others? Where have you seen God running to you in your life? Are you looking for it? My father's always trying to talk to me. He's got lots of things he wants to tell me. Where do you see God running to you in your life and what are you doing about it? What does it look like? Who have you watched modeling a father's heart? Who is it? Who showed you what that looks like? We talk about uh, uh, being a disciple in our church and what our definition of a disciple is, 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 is we're to follow Jesus. And just because you come to church doesn't mean that you're following Jesus. You follow Jesus by understanding the text and reading the text and by doing life with other people. The church is not the, the hallmark thing that you've, you've followed Jesus. And then the next piece of it is in the definition of Matthew four nineteen. He says, come follow me and I will make you. Fishers of men, are you allowing God to transform the way that you view people? Are you allowing God to transform the way that you view his text? Are you allowing God to transform the way that you view Moscow? Because our hearts probably are incomplete. Mine needs to be transformed, and he's transforming me all the time when I'm seeking him, when I notice him, when I let him. But he's not going to force his way in there and make me a robot. I got to choose. And then it says, then you'll become fishers of men. We have people in our community, you know, there's still only like a small percentage of our community that goes to church, even though we feel like we're a big church. We could be completely full. And not because not our building's great and not because our preaching great and none of those things, but because our God is great. Because people will fall in love with the, that heart of the Father because they will have never experienced that before. who have you watched modeling a father's heart? And who can you model a father's heart to this week? What is that going to look like? As I think about this passage and I think about the patriarch running with shame and embarrassment, I think about the cross. I think about Jesus on that cross and the shame and the embarrassment and punishment that he's willing to take. I think about him telling this story about what a father's heart looks like. Let me show you what a father's heart looks like, he says. Let me show you Pharisees, you teachers of the law, Let me show you sinners. Let me show you tax collectors. This is what a father's heart would do. That's the goal. That's the goal. To make our hearts like His, to become Christ-like. That's why I'm here. That's what I hope we do. So that night he was betrayed. He took that bread, and when he was given it, uh, given, he had given thanks. and he broke it, and he said, "This is my body." which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. And in the same way, um, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Lord. Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for the hearts that you brought here today, Lord. Lord, I just ask that that we would be transformed by your word. That we would be ambassadors uh, of you and we would be helping people not feel cut off. We would actually be helping people feel connected to you and introduce them to your heart the best that we can, Father. Work through us, Lord. Work through your, through your word, through this body. We just want to show you off to everyone we can, Lord, because they will absolutely fall in love with you and they will be transformed and changed forever. Lord, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.